And if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to grab it and turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible but you want to use one, there should be one in the seat back in front of you or one nearby that you can grab. Uh, and if you'd like, you can take that home with you. You can keep it. Uh, and that's our gift to you this morning. But Colossians chapter number 1. And I can't think of a better way to close out 2023 than lifting up the name of Jesus in worship and studying his word and hopefully learning and growing this morning. That's my desire. And I believe that's what God would have us for today. But Colossians chapter number one. And a little background, backstory for the book of Colossians. It's written by the apostle Paul. And Paul is writing from a place of bondage. He's in prison as he's writing this to the church at Colossae. And Paul is writing a warning in this letter, amongst other things, to this uh, church. And he's warning them against some heretical teachings that are trying to infiltrate the church. So he's warning them against these dangers. But he's also reminding and teaching them of something very important that we need to recognize as we start today. That Jesus Christ is supreme. He is the Son of God. God in the flesh, the savior of all the world, the one that they had been waiting for. He's reminding and teaching them of this. And I love what J. Vernon McGee, a Bible commentator said about the book of Colossians. He said, Christ is the theme and Christian living is centered in him. And what a fitting uh, summarization of the book of Colossians. And I, I hope that this morning, as we study this passage, it'll be a help to us. We're in Colossians chapter one, and we're gonna start reading in verse number nine. The Bible says this, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. So Paul is coming to the tail end of his introduction through these first few verses in Colossians, and he's letting these uh, Christians know that he's praying for them. And to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened, everybody say strengthened, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he, Jesus, is before all things. And by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. This morning, I wanna bring a message that I'm calling, who are you? Turn to the person next to you and say, who are you? Who are you? Maybe turn to the second option and say, who are you? This morning, as we look at Colossians 1, I wanna talk about this subject of who are we as followers of Jesus. Let's pray. 
and we'll jump into it. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to study your word. Thank you for a great first service and what you did. And God, I pray that you'd bless this service. Lord, I pray that we would all leave church today better for being here. God, that we would have a better understanding of you and your will for our lives, that we would grow and learn today exactly what you'd have for us. Lord, I pray that you would fill me, that you would speak through me, and that you'd bless our time together this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. About a, a month and a half ago in November, I turned 28 years old, and I recognize that I'm still young, relatively, okay? So I'm not one of those people where like, I'm an old geezer now, I'm in my late 20s. I'm not like that. But I will say, I have noticed some things change and come into my life as a result of age. Like, for example, this week, um, I like had a pulled hamstring and I can just tell you, I didn't do anything active. Like, I just came to work and, like, opened Christmas presents. Like, and so I was like, what is going on with me today? Like, I don't know why. I, I've noticed it takes me a little bit longer to recover and bounce back from injuries and from, like, a hard workout and things like that. I'm not what I used to be. Um, another thing that I've noticed um, that maybe you've noticed about me as well, I used to have hair. I used to have a lot more hair. Uh, and those of you who maybe have only started coming in the last couple months, you didn't know that. But I wasn't born with a shaved head, okay? That's not how I came into this world. Um, I actually brought a picture of Julie and I the day I asked her to be my girlfriend. That's right. I had game. I, had, I, had, I spit game. And I had the little swoop, you know, the little, the little flip of the hair. That's the hair Julie fell in love with right there, all right? That's it. Um, but I've noticed some things change about me. And maybe this feeling will resonate with you after you go through a certain change in life, maybe a new hairstyle, maybe like me shaving your head. The first couple days or so, when you walk by a mirror and you see yourself, you're like, who is that? <laughs> like, like, you kind of have to like double take at yourself because you don't recognize yourself fully. And self-reflection is a very important part of the human experience. It's a very important part of our spiritual growth to take honest assessments of who we are, how we're doing, what is our purpose, and to answer sometimes these difficult and convicting questions. And that's my desire as we look at Colossians 1, and I believe it's the Lord's desire for us, that today we ask and answer three questions from this passage that we looked at. Colossians 1, 9 through 18. Three questions that will help us take a self-assessment, self-reflect, and answer some of these questions from our passage. The first question, if you're taking notes, is this. What should we look like? What should we look like? As followers of Jesus, not what do we look like, but what should we look like? What should we be growing towards? What, would, what should we be aspiring for? And right off the bat in our passage, Paul shows us some defining qualities of what a healthy church body ought to look like. And if you didn't know this morning, you and I, we are the church body. And we should strive to be a healthy church body. We make it up. It's not just the person next to you. It's not just that church down the street. It's not another group of people. We ourselves are the church body. And Paul is going to exemplify and tell us what the church ought to look like. And we see it broken down for us into three categories. The first one is this, communion. Communion. And I'm not talking about uh, the bread and the juice this morning. I'm talking about time spent with God. Communion with the Lord. Verse number nine, Paul says this. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. 
Right off the bat, Paul is encouraging these believers at Colossae, and he's letting them know, I've been praying for you. Whatever you're going through, the uh, uh, experiences that you're dealing with, the frustration, the difficulty, the trials, I want you to know that I'm lifting you up in prayer. And that ought to be true of us. We ought to be praying for each other. We ought to be interceding on each other's behalf. We should be lifting up our spiritual leaders, our pastor, our friends, our family, the people that we serve with, the people in our small group. We should be praying for each other. And Paul is exemplifying this for us. Now, Paul shows a good example of praying for them. But then later in the chapter or later in the book in chapter number four, if you look at the end of the letter, Paul requests prayer. Now, Paul could ask in confidence for them to pray for him because he had been faithfully praying for them. So Paul says, continue, continue in prayer for me and watch in the same with thanksgiving with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which also I am in bonds. Now, like I said, this is a great example of how we ought to be lifting up one another in prayer. And that's the first spiritual discipline that Paul references. But then he says this in the second half of verse number nine. He says, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will, God's will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, think about this for a moment. How do we grow in the knowledge of God's will and in spiritual understanding? That's Bible reading. That's spending time in the word of God. That's spending time under preaching. Now, I want us to understand this. There is no replacement for this as followers of Jesus. There's no replacement for the word of God in our lives. It is our weapon, the Bible tells us. The Bible gives us a promise, and God gives us a promise in his word that his word will not return void. That means when we invite and have scripture and God's word in our lives, there is blessing that comes along with it. If you want to see growth, in 2024, if you want to see some changes in your life, some transformation, it starts with communion with God. This is what his people ought to look like. Time spent in prayer and time spent in his word. That's the first thing that we see here. Communion, fellowship, quality time with our Lord and Savior. I love Peter response, Peter's response to Jesus in John chapter 6. I believe it sums this up perfectly. Peter said this, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of life. Jesus, everything that we need is in you. Everything that we, we need, every answer to every question, every desire that we might have, everything that we need is in your words, Jesus. It's in your word, God. Oswald Chambers said, spend plenty of time with God. Let other things go, but don't neglect him. We're not here to do work for God. We are here to be workers with him. Those through whom he can do his work. Our time with God should lead to knowledge about him and his ways, but having information for having information's sake is not the point. Knowledge applied is God's desire for us. That's where transformation takes place. That's where growth takes place. Taking what we learn in God's word and then applying it to our life and activating that growth and that healthy change that the Lord desires to do in us. Now, for a moment, I want to study a little bit deeper this word knowledge in verse number nine. Did you notice it? Paul says it in verse number nine. He says, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That Greek word that Paul uses is epignosis. Everybody say epignosis. 
And if you study this word a little bit more, uh, it's only used about 20 times in the New Testament, and it's only used by two authors, Peter and Paul. And Paul used it the most, about 15 or 16 times in his writings. And the definition of this word is exact or full knowledge, discernment, recognition, and is a strengthened form of gnosis, expressing a fuller or full knowledge. And this is the key right here. A greater participation by the knower in the object known, thus more powerfully influencing him. I want us to understand ultimate knowledge, the most meaningful things that we can know and learn and understand in our life comes from God and his word. And when we apply his word, that's when transformation takes place. The knowledge that Paul is talking about here isn't just heady information. It's meant to cause heart transformation and result in our active participation. Very simply put, once we know the will of God, we're meant to do it. That's it right there. So a healthy church body, a healthy follower of Jesus, what should that look like? It should look like communion, time spent with God. Secondly, it should look like our conduct. That's what Paul is going to address next, our conduct. This is your walk and your work. The way you carry yourself, the things that you do. Verse 10, Paul says this, that you might walk, everybody say walk. walk. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to waste my life. I want to live a life that is fruitful, that accomplishes things, not for this life, things that will fade away, but things that will last in eternity. I want to make a difference for Jesus. I want my conduct to make an impact on the kingdom of God. I want God to fill me. I want God to use me. Your conduct, your walk, and your work. So ask yourself this this morning. Does the way that you carry yourself point others to Christ or away from him? The things that you do, the things that you say, the way that you treat people, your work ethic, the way that you carry yourself, the way that you conduct yourself, is it pointing others to yourself? Is it pointing others another direction? Or is it pointing others to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3 reminds us, for we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. What are you building with your life? Are you building your own earthly kingdom? Things that will come to an end? things that will fade away, things that will break down over time, or are you building and investing in eternity? Your conduct, what you do matters. It matters greatly. So Paul addresses communion, this time spent with God, our conduct, the way we walk, the way we work, and then he addresses our character, our character. So our conduct is the visible things, right? Our character is the invisible things who you are on the inside, who you truly are, I would venture to say. How do you react and respond when your patience is tested? Does anybody uh, in 2024 need to work on their patience like me? All right, me, I don't like traffic. I don't like standing in line, okay? If there's an express lane, I'm probably gonna use it, okay? I need to work on my patience. And Paul addresses that head on. He says in verse number 11, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience, and long-suffering with joyfulness. These are the things that you don't see physically with your eyes, but you can see in someone's life. You know what I mean? 
Patience, long-suffering, joyfulness, your character, who you truly are. This is the side that comes out when your patience is tested and when your joy is under attack. This is the side that comes out when things get difficult. What does it look like? Your character. What should we look like as followers of Jesus, as followers of people? We should be patient. We should be loving. We should be kind. We should be long-suffering. We should be full of joy, no matter the circumstances that are illustrated around us. So Paul gives us these defining qualities of what a healthy church body should look like. Right? He, he addresses communion, he addresses our conduct, and he addresses character. Now, if you're like me, we look at a list like this, and we say, yes, I agree. I want those things in my life. That is the ideal side of things. But also, if we're honest, and we're self-reflecting this morning and taking an honest self-assessment, we understand the real side of things, where we truly are. I, I need to grow in my time with God. I need to grow in my conduct, how I carry myself. I need to grow in my character. And sometimes this can be discouraging, looking at what is ideal and what we know we should be striving for and what we know we should be living like and where we truly are, what is real. But I want to bring some encouragement this morning. Are you ready for some encouragement? What consumes and bridges the gap in this space between where we are, what is real, and where we ought to be, what is ideal, is the grace of God. The power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because we can't do it on our own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the grace of God to bridge that gap between where we are and where we ought to be. Where we were last year and where we want to be in 2024. The growth that needs to take place is bridged by the grace of God. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, he said, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. I want to let you know this morning, whatever trial, whatever difficulty, whatever hurt, whatever pain you're going through today, God's grace is sufficient for you. Wherever you're at right now and you're discouraged because you know where you need to be and you're not there yet, God's grace is sufficient for you. Trust him. Rely on him. Don't stop. Don't stop striving for excellence. Don't stop trying to grow. Don't stop spending time in prayer and spending time in God's word. Lean more into those things. But in the meantime, when you haven't reached the ideal and you're stuck in the real, trust that God's grace is sufficient for you. And God is doing a good work in you. And he is faithful to finish that work. The thing that fills the gap between what is ideal and real is God's Grace, and that should bring us great encouragement this morning. So the first question this morning from Colossians 1, what should we look like as the people of God? We should be spending time with God. We should be carrying ourselves in a way that pleases God, a way that reflects Jesus, and we should be exemplifying godly character in our life. The second question is this, what has Jesus given us? What has Jesus given us? Paul is about to turn a corner in our passage and fix his focus on the person of Jesus. And there's no better focus to have your eyes on than the person of Jesus. Now, I'm curious, how many of you in the room uh, this morning when you were growing up and you did chores and different things around the house, how many of you were given an allowance for that? Raise your hand if, if you were given some sort of an allowance. A few of us this morning. I was not, okay? I was not. I remember my dad, Dean Foster, um, he established something and taught me something at a very young age. He said, you live in this house. You eat this food. You wear the clothes we buy for you. Your allowance is helping out around the house. You can do that. You live here free. You can work for free, okay? 
Now, that taught me something at a very young age, and it instilled something within me that I think is very important for us to understand as believers today. Because our world and our culture and our society is obsessed with this idea and this lie of the self-made man, right? It's all about my grind and my commitment and my hard work, and nobody gave me that. No handouts. I earned it on my own. And we've bought into this lie, and we've looked at that idea as something admirable, when truly it's a lie. It's a farce. What my parents were instilling within me and teaching me was everything that I thought was mine really came from someone else. The food was from my parents. The gifts were from my parents. The home that I lived in, the things, the good things that I experienced came from my parents. And God teaches us something in James when he says, every good and perfect gift cometh from above, cometh from your heavenly Father. So this idea of a self-made man or woman, and it's all about me and what I've done to earn where I'm at, God gave you the work ethic. God gave you the opportunity. God gave you the blessing. Every good and perfect gift we have cometh from above. So it's time that we, as the people of God, start taking our eyes off of ourselves and fixing them back on Jesus. Back on the Lord with a heart of gratitude for how good he's been. With a heart of gratitude for all that he's done. What has Jesus given us? Everything. Maybe a better question would be, what has Jesus not given us? Jesus has given us everything. Now, in these verses, Paul lists a few things that we have been given as Jesus' people, as followers of Jesus. And we're going to break these down. The first one is an inheritance. An inheritance, or in other words, a new home. Verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. When you accepted Jesus and trusted him as your Savior, you went from being a sinner to a saint. The Bible says we are the righteousness of God, not because of our own righteousness or good deeds, but because of the righteousness that Jesus gave us. Through salvation, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, we've been given a new home, a heavenly, eternal inheritance. That's what Jesus gave us. Secondly, he gave us deliverance. He gave us a new name. Verse 13, Paul writes, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Ye are children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Through salvation, Jesus gave us a new home. He gave us an inheritance. He also gave us a new name. He invited us and welcomed us into the family of God through his sacrifice on the cross. But the third thing Jesus gives us that we see in Colossians 1 is my favorite, and that is redemption. Jesus brought redemption, the greatest gift, redemption, a new life. He took what was dead and wasted and sinful and dark, and he turned it into something beautiful. He turned it into something new. He gave you a fresh start at the point of salvation. He forgave your past mistakes and imperfections, and he is redeeming you to do something great. He can use you now. 
You have a home in heaven. You have a new name. You are not who you used to be. You are now a child of God. And this comes through redeeming power that is only found in Jesus Christ. And for that, we ought to be grateful today. He gave us an inheritance. He delivered us. And then he gave us redemption. Ephesians 1 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Echoing what verse 14 says in our chapter this morning. Redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption through salvation in Jesus and Jesus alone. I simply want to remind somebody in the room this morning, maybe somebody watching online who needs to hear this. You were worth it to Jesus. You might not feel worth it to the people in your life right now. You might feel underappreciated, undervalued. You might feel lacking direction. You might feel discouraged because of where you're at or some of the recent mistakes that you've made. But I want you to know, and I want you to hear me clearly, you were worth it to Jesus. He gave his life for you. He left eternity for you. He suffered torture and anguish and the cross for you. So that you could be bought back from sin. So that you could be taken away from hell and given a home in heaven. You were worth it to Jesus. He loves you and he died for you. His redemption. Man, it's so good. And we have to be thankful for that today. And this brings us to our third and final question this morning. Now, knowing this, knowing what we ought to look like as followers of Jesus knowing these great things that Jesus has given us through salvation, what is our purpose? Now, what is our purpose as followers of Jesus? Look at verse number 15. It says this, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, Jesus in the flesh, God in the flesh. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be of thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And in that closing statement, we find our purpose, to know him and to make him known. To find salvation in him and then to lead others to him. To experience his saving grace and to make disciples. To share that message of hope. To reach others with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Paul goes on to write in verse number 17, and he, Jesus, is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in all things, he might have the preeminence. So what is our purpose? Why are we here? What is this all about? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. There's a world out there that is searching for fulfillment, for direction, for satisfaction, for value, for identity. And they're searching in all the wrong places and they are left unfulfilled and dissatisfied with a longing and a desire that can only be filled by one person, Jesus Christ. We have the answer. We have the solution. We have what they're looking for. That is our purpose, to know him deeper, 
but then to make him known. Every single day we should wake up and it should be a part of our, our desire and our prayer of asking God, how can I fulfill my purpose today? How can I know you deeper? But secondly, God, how can I make you known wider? How can I know you deeper through communion, through, through time in prayer and time in your word? But God, I don't wanna just accumulate head knowledge and I don't wanna just learn about you, but God, I wanna work alongside you to change my community, to change my world, to change my family, to make an impact for eternity. How can I make your name more famous? How can I make your name more known to those around me? That is our purpose. You have a purpose. You are not here by mistake. You are not here by accident. You are not just killing time until heaven. You have a purpose in this life. I wanna look at one more verse before we close today, but I invite you to join me in standing as we close. Our purpose is simple today, but it's life-changing. And it should shape the direction of our lives. And I believe it's perfectly summed up in John 15, verse 16, where Jesus says this, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. I've given you a purpose. I've sent you on a mission. What is it? that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Our purpose today and every single day is to grow in our relationship with God and to further his kingdom, not build our own. Now this morning, as we looked at Colossians 1 and these verses, we took some time to self-reflect. This is who we are meant to be we ought to look like. Knowing what Jesus has given us should now shape our purpose and how we live our lives. It should change the trajectory of our lives. It should change the decisions that we make. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning.